All right, and welcome to another exciting episode of Sports Beers from an Agent's Perspective. Right, you're with your host, uh, Zila, a.k.a. Chester and Bekela. Um, however, where you want to refer me, some people know as um, some people know me as Kangelani, but you know Zila's my second name, Chester's my nickname, so <laughs> I'm known by different people according to different names. So yeah, so whichever one you feel comfortable referring to me as, I'll accept that. All right, so um, yeah, I'm an exciting episode, episode number eighty-one. Um, I'm going to bring a few more episodes for this year, then I'm going to take a break, man. You know, I think I'm starting to feel that, you know, year-end fatigue. Um, there's been certain changes as well, you know, um, with regards to, you know, the agency and stuff like that. So just, you know, trying to remain focused, you know, when everything around you is changing and just, you know, certain adversities are happening, you know. Um, but that's the journey, you know. Um, you, you can't, you can't part you can't blame um, and you definitely can't give up. You know, this is one of those things that means the world to me. You know, this, this, this hustle, this um, everything that I'm doing means so much to me, you know. And if that means that I need to make sure that I'm in the right position to be able to execute and do it, then I'm going to do that, you know. And sometimes it's going to require going through the fire, man, um, for what you love, you know for what you're doing because you got to remember no one employed me to do this no one nominated me to do this you know I made the conscious decision to do it um, so that means I had to accept everything that comes with it you know the trials the tribulations adversity but yeah the, the one thing that I've just I don't know um, that I've just been able to do is to just stick to my guns and just try and move forward you know take the punches roll with the punches literally but um but yeah, otherwise, that's the journey, man. Um, that's the journey, and it is what it is. We just keep going, you know. So, um, yeah, as I said, episode 81, we've got some exciting content that we're going to talk about. Um, today's topic, we're actually going to um, talk about, you know, the Cristiano Ronaldo versus, you know, Manchester United saga type of thing, you know, because I know online people have their opinions, they've got their outlooks on the whole situation. And I know it's a little bit delayed, you know, but I actually wanted to take my time in deciphering the situation so that I could just share my thoughts, you know, from an agent's perspective <laughs> um, on why, you know, I'm sure Cristiano Ronaldo decided to go this route, you know. Um, obviously, all the points, everything that I'm going to mention on here is based on speculation. So, you know, it's it's not to say that I'm 100% accurate with everything I'm saying. It's basically from how it's looking. You know, I'm an outsider looking in. So I'm basically going to talk about, you know, how the situation looks, you know, from my end and from how, and from how I perceive it, you know, as a sports agent and how athletes tend to behave um, in this kind of climate, you know, when trying to get out of contract with uh, their teams and everything. But anyway, we'll decipher it. Um, decode it whatever however you want to refer to it and um yeah hopefully by the end of this podcast you know um you you'll pretty much understand why you know superstar athletes tend to sometimes behave this way all right but before we carry on with that we got to pay the bills so we're going to go straight into a commercial break all right see you guys after the break
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help. I know, you know, from my personal experience, man, when I was an athlete, when I was a player, you know, there'd be times I would go through, you know, feelings of like stress and anxiety, you know, stress to perform, you know, stress to play well, to make sure you play for that next contract. And, you know, I really wish that I had had, you know, certain like avenues to really vent and get out these frustrations and just have an objective party to talk to, right? BetterHelp, man, it's a platform that offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you through, you know, your tough time or whatever you're going through. Now you're able to talk to your therapist in private, um, in an online environment at your convenience. So it's literally therapy um, wherever you may be, you know. Um, There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapists network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then uh, you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Imagine that, under 48 hours. Then you schedule a secure video and phone sessions and then uh, plus you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist um, and everything you share is 100% and completely confidential. Right? What I've found helpful, man, with using a platform um, like BetterHelp, again, you know, is just their response time. That if you're going through something, um, you're able to talk with your therapist and share it right there and then. You know, my therapist, uh, Mark, is so efficient, um, and I'm really um, happy that I'm working with him. All right, and then you can actually also request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime if the current, like the current um, therapist that you matched with doesn't work out for you. All right, so you don't need to stress and feel like you're trapped with one therapist. You can actually request to change. So join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced better help therapist. Special offer to Sports Bears from an agent's perspective, podcast listeners. So you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash kzmbekela. Right? That's betterhelp.com slash E-K-E-L-A, Bekela. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. All right, and welcome back. Um, so as I said, you know, today's topic, you know, we're talking football. We're talking the Cristiano Ronaldo saga. Um, you know, we're going to decode, decipher, dissect. <laughs> if we're going to speak in biology terms, <laughs> Just a quick note, man. I don't know about you guys out there, man, but I sucked at biology, you know? Um, just, I mean, I know this has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of talking football, but I think when I mentioned, you know, dissect, <laughs> it gave me, you know, PTSD, you know? Um, it made me think back to my high school days and just how terrible I was at biology. 
you know, um, literally. But I, you know what? I do believe that I was terrible at biology because we also had a shitty teacher, man. Fuck that lady. She knows she was crap. You know, all she used to do was just read from the textbook. And then after that, she'll ask questions. And she had the softest voice ever. Like, I think she was ASMR before ASMR came into play, you know? Um, yeah, and for that reason, man, I got terrible grades in biology. I got terrible marks. The only person who actually helped me pass biology in my matric or senior year was actually my mom. Um, because she was actually, back in the day, she was a biology teacher. Like, she knew biology, man, from beginning to end. Um, so I got her to help me, you know, prepare for the exams. And because of her, I passed biology, you know. So back to the point that I'm trying to make. So when I mentioned dissect, it just took me back to that time that, oh, shit. <laughs> this was a subject I was definitely terrible at. But anyway, moving on. So in dissecting the, um, the Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, versus Man United saga, and um, just, you know, superstars and their star power, you know. Um, firstly, in talking about football, I think, you know, we, we have to commend and give a round of applause to Qatar for an amazing, amazing sporting product that is the FIFA World Cup of 2022. You know, I've been following the games on, um, on the FIFA platform, you know, FIFA Plus. Um, yeah, I haven't missed a game. I haven't missed a game. Obviously, some games I haven't been able to watch, um, you know, full games, but I've, I've been able to catch some highlights of some of the matches. Some of the games I've been able to watch the full games. And man, Qatar did not disappoint. They definitely did not disappoint. And I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, criticize, have been criticizing Qatar on, you know, their rules and regulations and just their laws and stuff like that. I think it's, it's very important for people to understand that cultures are different, guys. You know, some things that are accepted in the Western world might be frowned upon in the Middle East, you know. And these people, you know, are within their right to formulate their rules and, um, and basically conduct their society the way they see fit. I honestly don't understand why people were upset. The fact that, yeah, you know, they, they just don't want to have alcohol and all that stuff. That's their country. And I mean, yes, they're hosting um, a world event. But at the end of the day, it is still important to, you know, to follow the rules and regulations of that country. I mean, the mere fact that they were serving alcohol in some aspects, you know, that was them going against what they strongly believe in. And, and, and I mean, in the Muslim culture, alcohol is forbidden. You know, and look, coming from you know, backgrounds that, you know, that we come from as, as African people, as black people, I kind of understand why alcohol is forbidden inside, you know, in, in the Middle East and basically in, um, in Islam and the Muslim community, um, community, because honestly, man, alcohol can literally be the one thing that distracts, you know, a society moving forward, you know, it can be, and, and this is coming from a guy who grew up in North Christem Tata, you know, where we didn't really have a lot of um, recreational facilities. All you saw in the neighborhood I grew up, man, was just bottle stores. Yeah, it was literally bottle stores and shebeens, taverns, 
as you'd know them in the Western world or countries outside of South Africa, referred to as taverns. That's all you had access to. That's all you saw, you know? So I kind of understand and I can relate as to why in the Middle East, man, and, and, and in the Muslim society, they would see that as a threat, number one, to the society, you know, because honestly, when misused, man, alcohol can really destroy societies. It really can. But anyway, this is not why we're here. I mean, to people who drink, to each his own, you know, to each his own. If that's what you enjoy doing, hey, that's, you know, that's you. But for me, I understand why um, in that society they choose not to indulge in such you know, anyway, man, back to the, you know, Football World Cup. I'm sorry for going off tangent a lot of times today. Bear with me, you know. Um, and I mean, th- that's the whole point of a podcast. You got to remember, this is not, I'm not a media outlet. I'm not a news outlet. So sometimes um, if a certain word reminds me of a certain topic, I might go off tangent and just quickly, you know, um, give like a sort of like background as to why this certain word triggered me or why it reminded me of so-and-so and such-and-such, such, all right? So please bear with me. Don't think that this guy's on this podcast just rambling and, you know, um, and talking a whole lot of shit. Nah, that's, that's not the point. Okay, so as I said, um, apart from the off-field activities, I've been impressed by Qatar. Um, obviously, I'm not there, so I don't know um, what activities are going on there but as i see man like the vibe that you get it seems pretty exciting you know it seems pretty exciting um you know the stadiums have been well maintained it seems like total order has been maintained there hasn't been any scandals or any you know worrying events that have occurred as in the past because again every time the world cup is held at the western you know in a western society because excessive alcohol um, is available, sometimes people go to World Cups just to fuck shit up, you know? Um, and obviously when lads are getting drunk, um, yeah, th- things can go west pretty quickly, you know? So anyway, um, shout out to Qatar for that. And um, a special shout out to my cousin, man, Ordwa, who I've been actually trying to get on the podcast, but because, you know, he's busy, he's actually out there working, um, He's one of the chefs that's working at the stadium. So he gets to watch the games, um, you know, and he gets to meet, you know, famous celebrities. You know, I've already seen him take pictures with the likes of, you know, Samuel Eto'o. A couple of days ago, he posted a picture of himself and Trevor Noah, you know. So this <laughs> man's is living large out there, man. So congratulations to him and on, you know, bagging such a gig and, you know, and shout out to him for making use of the opportunity, you know, to, um, yeah, to just enjoy and, um, how can I say, embrace the festivities, you know. So, um, yeah, so congratulations to Audrey. And I'm still hoping that even after the World Cup, you know, um, I can have him on the show so he can basically just tell us as someone who was there, um, you know, just how the vibe was and, um, yeah, and just, you know, the whole experience of being a chef at probably the biggest sporting tournament in the world, you know. Nothing compares to soccer, man. They've released the numbers in terms of viewership, in terms of streaming, 
<laughs> yeah, no. I know, you know, the Americans love to say that, you know, the NFL is the most viewed sporting product in the world. No, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, you know, on average for the NFL Super Bowl, in terms of like streaming and viewership, I mean, you probably get about 114 million people that are watching. Football has gone, I think they, they went up to about a billion, you know, they went up to about a billion. There's a billion people streaming and watching the Soccer World Cup because soccer is the number one sport in the world, man. It's the number one sport in the world. So, um, yeah, no, def, um, definitely an exciting World Cup. I've enjoyed myself. Um, and it's, it's also been exciting to see all the upsets, you know. I was actually chatting to a friend of mine yesterday and she was like, who are you backing going into this World Cup? And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm starting to jinx myself. I need to stop backing Brazil going into this fucking World Cup. Because they always, always find a way to just mess it up. Don't get me wrong. In the group stages, Brazil always looks amazing. You know, they look like, um, you know, they've got their structures in place and just, you know, they their strategy, their playing strategy, it always looks like they've got that in place as well. And then when it just comes to now, okay, delivering, oh my word. They always make it out of the group stages. I'll commend them for that. They've never been, I've never seen Brazil being knocked out in the first round. They've never not passed the first stage. The playoffs, now that's where things get interesting. They always seem to just drop the ball and I mean, yeah, so they were taken out by Croatia, you know, in the penalties. Um, and Croatia are looking good. I won't lie. They are looking decent. And um, I guess another notable game that I would definitely say um, was France versus England. You know, going into that game, without a doubt, I was backing France. <laughs> I was backing France. Nothing against England. Um, in terms of soccer... There's actually quite a number of um, English football players, excuse me, that I've always felt um, like th that, you know, that I supported. You know, for example, I was a big David Beckham fan, you know, as much as I mean, Beckham's on play on the field. I, I, I never felt like he was anything exceptional, but he was able to find the one thing that he was good at and he just beat and worked at that craft. And for that, he, he became a free kick specialist. You know, he wasn't the fastest guy on the field. He wasn't the most skilled. But he identified what his strength was. And he just laid into that. And he just, yeah, he made that work for him. You know, I was also a big Michael Owen fan. Um, Patrick Clivert. You know, those guys, that era, basically. Um, I was a big fan of their, of, um, of their players. And I mean, in this World Cup as well, I mean, I think um, England had a few decent players. You know, Rashford, um, Kane, you know, the likes, you know, those type of guys. I mean, they, they, they tried their best. I think England can be proud of, um, you know, of their efforts. It was unfortunate that they had to face France in the quarterfinal. But I really do think that it would have made for an interesting game had they met in like a semi or in a final. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm backing France all the way. Obviously, another upset could still happen, you know. But I think going into this game, France winning against England wasn't really an upset. I think France kind of went into that game as, um, 
as as the favorites, you know. I think they went into the game as favorites, and um, yeah, they, they definitely they definitely stepped up. Gerard, man, he played amazing. He played amazingly. I mean, France's all time, I think, top point scorer. He really, you know, he really came to the party, and it goes back to that whole saying that big time players make big plays in big games you know and that's what that's um that's a philosophy i've always believed in myself and that's one that i will always stand by that for me if you're a good player who doesn't really shine in big games you're not really a good player you're just a fucking bully who's used to playing against weaker teams and then shining and looking like a superstar but when you can make big plays in big games then you're a superstar then you're a superstar like Ronaldo, Messi, those guys have proven themselves over and over um, that they can make big plays in big games. You know, Portugal was unlucky to be knocked out by Morocco, but uh, credit to Morocco, man, they've been—I think they've been the find of the of the World Cup. Like nobody saw them coming, <laughs> you know. And that's and I think that is what is so exciting about the football World Cup and the soccer World Cup is the fact that. There'll always be that team that, that wasn't on anybody's radar, that nobody was even thinking about, and then they just surprise everybody, you know, and they just start knocking everyone down, and then now, boof, Morocco's in the semi-final, you know. Shout out to my Moroccan friends, man, Sabrine and Miriam, um, two students I met when I was studying in France. Um, we became very good friends. Um, I used to call Sabrine cold face because every time like um, we we greet in the morning, like, you know, the, the kiss on the cheek, like her cheeks would always be so, her face would always be so cold. So I, I nicknamed her cold face. But um, yeah, shout out to Sabrine, man. Very good friend of mine. And also Miriam as well. Um, I, I met her as well when I was studying in France as well. And um, I think they, they're both still in France. They both work and live in France. So I'm sure they're going to be excited. At the fact that Morocco is in the semi-final. Um, but yeah, special shout out to them. Man. Miss you girls. Hope you guys are well. Um, Alright. Now moving on. Reminiscing about the World Cup. And you know. And shouting out the World Cup. That's in the rear. That's in the rear end. Okay. Now we're going to talk about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo versus Man United saga. You know. Um, I've often heard people on the internet criticizing Ronaldo, calling him a fool, saying that he should retire now because nobody's going to want him and stuff like that and stuff like that and stuff like that. So it made me sit back and ask myself, why would Cristiano Ronaldo, knowing that, you know, the Piers Morgan show is, you know, it's probably one of the most watched, um, you know, media content spaces in the world. Why would he do that to himself? And I'm like, this guy did it deliberately, guys. He did it deliberately because, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo just, he desperately wanted to get out of his Manchester United um, contract. He wanted the club to fire him. So the best way to do this was to go on a public platform and basically give them, you know, negative PR. Because I'm sure the Manchester United, you know, public relations department 
had to, man, I'm sure they had to do major damage control. And I think one of the things that they had to do was they had to, they had to part ways with Cristiano because he gave them, you know, negative PR. For any business, public relations and how the public views you is extremely important. And the fact that Ronaldo would go on a public platform and criticize the way the club is run. Never mind what goes on in the field. He criticized the front office. You know, that's the internal part. I mean, those are usually the parts that you never talk about on a, pl on a public platform because of how they could, like I'm saying, of how they could affect the public's view of Manchester United because now everyone's thinking, what the fuck is going on there? You know, how is their front office? Like, how are their structures? Is their dysfunction? You know, he pretty much aired their dirty laundry, which is something you never do, you know, um, with regards to your employer. So they had to part ways. Cristiano Ronaldo was never going to be able to return to Manchester United after the Piers Morgan interview. He would have, he would, it just, it wouldn't have worked. So they had to fire him. But now with a genius thing comes in is the fact that is the fact that um, because now Manchester United were forced to fire Ronaldo this means that they are going to lose out on a lot of money with regards to a possible transfer for him you know Cristiano Ronaldo literally took this you know he took matters into his own hands because he knew that if he had waited for Manchester to possibly trade him you know in this you know uh, December January transfer window he, he just did, he didn't have faith that it would go through because you've got to remember, if Manchester were going to put that guy on the transfer list, they were going to ask for a ridiculous amount of money for him. You know? And I'm pretty sure that that didn't sit well with Ronaldo because it made him sort of worry that which club is going to want to sign a guy who's going on 38 years old for the transfer for the market value that Manchester United would have wanted for him. You know? So for him, it was that thing where, fuck, so this means that possibly, even if they put me on the market and I don't get traded, that means I have to stay at Man U. And when that happens, he would have literally been at their mercy, which means that they can have him on the roster, pay him his salary, but not play him. You know, so he would have been the biggest loser in this if he hadn't done what he did, because he was like, look, I'm, I want to get out of my contract by any means, you know, necessary. So I'm going to go on a public platform and I'm going to slam the team so that they have to fire me. And in them doing so, they actually lose double now because Man United still have to pay him to walk away. They have to pay out the rest of his contract. Well, again, this is subject to if whether Cristiano and his agent were able to negotiate a guaranteed contract. And I mean, in professional football, most of the time, contracts are guaranteed. So you will probably find that Man U has to pay all of that money to him. Even if they don't, they are going to lose more from not being able to get anything for his transfer than anything. You know, because... When it comes to the salary payments, because the club had already been paying him, whatever they would have had to pay him for the rest of the contract, you know, they could never recoup. 
you know, and they were that money doesn't compare anything to what they would have gotten you know for him had they traded him. You see, that's how teams operate when when it comes to superstars, in that if they lose the money they were paying the guy in salary, that's okay. But when they have to trade him to another club, they can make most of that most of that money back. But in this case, they're not going to make any of that money back. So literally, man, you are going to lose a ton. They're going to lose millions of pounds on this whole Ronaldo saga. And Ronaldo isn't actually going to lose anything because for him, now he gets to shop around as a free agent. Now he can sign with whichever team that he wants to sign and he doesn't have to worry about Man U, you know, either rejecting or accepting an offer for him. In fact, I think now he's, he's kind of cognizant and he's kind of aware that... Mm, he might have to start taking veteran, like a veteran's minimum to sign with a team. Because, I mean, the guy is going on 38 years old. You know, I don't think there's a team that's going to be willing to sign Cristiano Ronaldo for a ridiculous amount of money and, and have him take up cap space. You know, so I think because if he takes up cap space and that means the team is not able to sign a, they're not able to sign a young um you know, valuable player because, well, they've got this larger-than-life icon that's, you know, within their rosters. So I think going forward, if he still wants to play, like, top-flight football, especially in Europe, he's going to have to accept a, um, a veteran's minimum, a major pay cut. And, I mean, when you look at the amount of money the guy's made over the past 20-odd-some years, I don't think... This is about money for Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he really wants to just play in a team environment where he's winning so that he can walk off into the sunset as a content veteran, you know. And I just don't believe that he would have gotten that at uh, Manchester United. I think just the way the team's been performing, number one, the fact that they haven't been really doing well in the Premier League and just how the club has run. I think that sort of got to him where he was like, he just doesn't want to be in this environment. And to make it worse, now being benched for the first time in his career. Well, I'm sure he was benched at the beginning of his career, but now seeing the bench um, for the first time in years, I'm sure that also wasn't, um, you know, something that he was willing to accept, that we're already playing like shit, you know, the team, you know, the running of the team is shit. And now I'm being treated like shit. So it was like, nah, look, I got to try to get out so that with however amount of years he has left, he's at least able to end off on a more positive note, you know. And I mean, I, you know, I actually talked about this on my LinkedIn as well. Um, and I actually posted it as like a, um, a poll question to basically try to interact with um, my sports agency's um, followers. That what do you guys think? Do you think a team functions normally when the owner lives on the other side of the world in a different time zone than where the team is based? Because if I'm going to give you my opinion on this, I don't think it's a good idea for a team owner. Whether you're a billionaire and you're able to catch a private jet and so and so and so, I really don't believe it's a good idea to be based in America and own a team that is in England or at least be majority owner that, that it, it doesn't work 
when you look at the like um, the greatest sporting franchises or sporting brands, you know, in in sports and entertainment history, all of those teams owners lived in the same city. Never mind the same country; they lived in the same city. You know, and just to make a few examples, look at the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, yeah, they're playing like trash right now, but it's not because to how the it's not because of how the organization is run. I just think. For them, it's poor personnel that they've hired to be on the field, to be on the court. But regardless of that, when you look at the history of the LA Lakers, the Lakers were successful in their heyday um, because their owner, Dr. Buss, lived in Los Angeles. His daughter, now current owner, Jeannie Buss, lives in Los Angeles. She doesn't live in France or in any other country. She lives in LA, you know? Let's look at another sporting franchise, the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, arguably one of the biggest sporting brands as well in sports history. Owner Jerry Jones, a billionaire as well. He lives in the city of Dallas. He's a hands-on owner who knows all of his players. He's currently always at the team facility watching practices in fact some people say he's too hands-on <laughs> but i believe hey man the guy wants to make sure he's part of everything he knows the organ like his organization inside out you know let's take it a step further going back to basketball dallas mavericks current owner uh, mark cuban mark cuban lives in dallas he's also a billionaire he could live anywhere he wants to in this world. But he lives in Dallas because he knows how important it is for him to be a part of his organization and to always make sure he's available to oversee certain things. Hey, maybe he's not there for the day-to-day -day operations. But on game day, Mark Cuban's always at the home games, at the arena. He's always there because he knows how important that connection is to the team. Same as your genie busters and stuff like that. For the home games, the owners are always present because they know how important that connection to the team and the organization is. You know? So for the Glazers who own Manchester United to be based in America in a totally different time zone and then expect things to function and be synergized all the way in Manchester... That's a bit much. And that's one of the things that Cristiano Ronaldo also slammed as well, was the fact that because the owners are based in another country, there's a lot of miscommunication and a, a lot of disconnect because the guy you hire to run the team, he's going to do his shit, you know, he's going to do this thing his way. You know, so... And I mean, Cristiano's not the only person who criticized Manchester United for this kind of, you know, ownership... Um, dynamic he you know gary neville former man united captain also openly came out to criticize the you know um, the glazers who own man united that how can you be based in the u.s and think that you're gonna effectively own a club that's based in england the cultures are different as much as they're similar and they speak the same language but u.s culture and uk culture are totally different and i know this because I've lived in both areas. Totally different. Totally different. So, I guess, yeah. So when Cristiano decided to air all of that laundry, 
it was always going to be, uh, okay, this guy, he's, he's got to go. Otherwise, he's going <laughs> he's gonna to open up, you know, a can of worms that's going to be very tough for the, um, for the public relations team to basically put out the fire. I'm just going to have some water. So, yeah, man, um, it's very interesting. Very interesting. And um, like I'm saying, it took me a few weeks just to sit back and just to think, why would this guy do this? And I'm like, okay, this is probably why. And then it just also made me think about the whole ownership thing and um, made me think that, yeah, you know, for, I think if you are willing to, if you are thinking of becoming a team owner, you might want to find a team that you want to own that's in a city that you'd be willing to live in. You know, you can't correspond that type of ownership. Or you can be like Patrice Mutsepe then, or maybe employ one of your children to be based and represent you to, you know, um, to own the team and run the team. That's the only way you can delegate. But if you're going to just hire someone who's not related to you, that person's going to come with their own, like, you know, ideologies and they're going to implement their own culture and stuff like that. And it might not coincide to what you had planned for the team. You know? So, yeah. So I'm just saying that Ronaldo wasn't alone in, um, in the criticism of the ownership. And just the structure and the front office and just how the club is run at the moment. There's a lot of confusion and chaos, basically. All right. And then um, next point, just regards with this Cristiano Ronaldo. Now he's a free agent. Um, and I've been asking people as well, like, do you think that he should accept the 300 and, you know, 360, 350 million um, pound offer from Saudi Arabia just to play two seasons in Saudi Arabia? And my answer is, hell yes. You know, and, and I like the fact that, you know, during that Piers Morgan interview, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, he said, look, I look at football as a business now. That's all it is. It is a business. So I think accepting an offer to, to play in Saudi for two years and netting, or maybe not netting, but earning, you know, earning over 350 million you know, pounds just in two seasons, that's probably, the, that's probably the highest offer for a professional football player in the history of the game. You know? So... I, I, I think you should take it. And, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, yeah, but how things, you know, how things are run in Saudi Arabia, how, the culture, the fact that, you know, it's different to his. Listen, firstly, when a superstar goes to play in those countries, that person is treated like royalty. That person is treated like royalty. And I mean, it's not to say that Cristiano has to move his whole family over there. He can just go by himself. Stay there when the season's on, then the off-season, be out of there. Or when they have a break, be out of there. I mean, the guy's got so much money. Um, he can literally just be there just to play. Two seasons, you've gotten $350 million. Obviously, with taxes and agent fees, let's say it could possibly go down to about maybe 320 or even possibly $300 million. You know? So, I mean, to make that amount of money just for two seasons... I say it would be worth it. And then that really means that, you know, after retiring, the guy can do whatever he wants in this world. I mean, he's already got multiple businesses, especially in the US. I'm, I'm pretty certain that when Cristiano Ronaldo retires, he's probably going to move to America. 
you know. Um, he's well known in the USA. When, when the US talk about, you know, professional soccer players, um, like icons, he's always in the discussion. Him and Messi are well known in America. So, I mean, he could get involved in Hollywood. He's definitely got the look, you know, well chiseled, well built, um, you know, Latin, of Latin descent. They love them over there. <laughs> you know, so he could make some cameos and TV appearances, man. You know, and really get a career started in Hollywood. You know, but I mean, he never needs to work. I mean, the guy's got, he's got over 500 plus million followers on Instagram. Do you know the commercial opportunities that await for him once he's retired? Like, it's sick. And obviously, like I say, he's got like bars and, you know, businesses that he's opened up in New York City and stuff like that. So... The guy will be, he'll, he'll, he's going to be comfortable, man. I really just think that he just really wanted out of his contract and to, to get cut um, from his deal so that he could just be off on his own and be able to basically control his own destiny. I think that's where Cristiano has gotten. He's a superstar who's realized his star power. And now all he wants to do is to be able to move freely without a team thinking that they can make money off of his trade. Off of his star power. You know, so credit to him. And he's actually a freaking genius. He's a genius. And I think a lot more superstars are going to start actually following this kind of trait. I know players in the NBA have been doing it. Um, that when a superstar just wants to get out of his contract, he, start, he either stops coming to training or... He just, he becomes overweight and he just becomes unproductive. And then that's when teams put him on the transfer list and trade him. But in that sense, they're able to still make money from his trade value. Where in this case, Man United will make zero pounds for, you know, from the next team that signs this guy. And um, yeah, look, you can't be mad at the dude, you know. Um... I definitely think that the stunt that he pulled is not going to sit well with a lot of team owners. You know, team owners don't like it when superstars realize their star power <laughs> and the amount of leverage that they have because it makes them realize that, listen, at the end of the day, they become at the superstar's mercy. And that doesn't sit well with a lot of teams. Teams love it when they can control the star player. But when the star player now realizes who actually has more leverage in this business relationship, uh, it can be a bit tricky. That's why I don't believe Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be in professional football for much longer. Um, definitely when he's, what he did was brave, but I do think that team owners around the world will take notice that, oh shit, this is a guy who knows his worth. This is a guy who knows his power. We might not want to get involved, especially for the age that he's going to be in. So... Yeah, this definitely was the behavior of someone who's possibly, I don't want to confirm anything, possibly contemplating, you know, retirement within the next couple of seasons. Who knows? Maybe after this World Cup, I see Ronaldo playing maybe two more seasons um, or maybe retiring at like 40, possibly. Who knows? Who knows? Again, this has been an episode of, you know, a lot of speculation, but... Um, yeah, man, he's had a phenomenal career. It's unfortunate that, you know, his career is going to go into retirement without him ever winning a World Cup. But 
I don't think that should tarnish his legacy. He's done very well. And uh, yeah, just before I go, I'm going to leave you guys with a question. Do you think Lionel Messi and his Argentina team will finally get it done? You know, because Argentina's qualified for the semis. So it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be exciting. But it would be good to see Messi win a World Cup. And if he does, <laughs> if he does win the World Cup, will it finally put the GOAT conversation between him and Ronaldo to rest? That is my main question that I'm going to leave you guys with for today's episode. Um, but yeah, man, it's been, it's, been, it's been a pleasure talking about this. It's an interesting topic. It's been, you know, shout out to Ronaldo for doing this type of thing because he's given us, you know, sports agents and sports enthusiasts um, content. You know, it's great content. Anyway, before I go, man, you know, shout out to um, the sponsors. Shout out to uh, MyProtein. You know, shout out to Fila UK, shout out to 365 Gaming. Um, who else? Shout out to BetterHelp. And also a special shout out to um, our partners who are doing, you know, similar work to us, you know, footballmarket.org. And also Getafe Madrid International Football Academy. All right, shout out to those guys. Those are our partners, not sponsors. Those two are my partners. Um, it's always good, you know, in this journey to find people, you know, to synergize with that are sort of like on the same path that I am in. All right. And again, you know, for an, for an incredible online shopping experience, you can get the best products, man, using um, the links to our sponsors that I will provide on the description of the podcast. All right. So I'm about to go, guys. Make sure you take care of yourselves. It's it's officially winter this side. Um, I will drop an episode just before Christmas as well. So I'm going to wish everyone a lovely holiday on our last episode of this year. All right. All right, guys. Have a good one and take care. Cheers. And remember our sporting slogan, man, for this podcast. We don't only talk sports, we lived it. We effing lived it. We fucking lived it. All right, in this segment of our podcast, we actually want to talk about and promote our client and partner, Getafe Madrid International Football Academy. Right, this is an academy, football academy, soccer academy, that is based in Madrid, Spain. Getafe recruits players between the ages of 15 and 17 years old. Players are able to learn from quality coaches from around the world, UEFA, accredited and licensed coaches. Players are also afforded the opportunity to receive a quality education with the academy's partner school, Akinas American School. Right, so if players enroll with the academy and study up until they finish their diploma, they are able to obtain a diploma which is USA accredited. 
And when they obtain this, they are able to enroll and study at any university in the world. All right. So this is an amazing, amazing soccer opportunity for any young player who has ambitions of developing in a foreign market. Passports are open to every single individual in the world. All right. A disclaimer about this uh, promotion is that I, as a football agent that is registered in Japan, I do not represent players under the age of 18. My relationship and partnership is with the academy. All right. So with that being said, I will only liaise with parents or legal guardians of young players. So for anyone listening to this and wanting to find out more information, you can find out by going to our website, which is www.magsportsagency.net. That is www.m-a-g-sportsagency.net. All right. Over there, all the information is displayed in terms of tuition and the application process. Obviously, before players are accepted into the academy, um, there are certain requirements that players need to meet in order to be accepted into the academy. So only being talented as being a player, that is simply not enough. This is an academy that places an emphasis you know, um, in education as well. This is an academy that understands the importance of education as well. So what they strive to do is equip young football players with the skills they need to excel at a high level as professional soccer players, but also to have the education that is needed for life after a professional soccer career. All right. So this is an amazing opportunity and um, I would recommend it. I definitely recommend it. Madrid is an amazing city. Spain, the Spanish winters are the best winters because they don't get as cold as the rest of Europe. And this is an amazing opportunity for a young child to develop and mature as an athlete and an individual. All right. They will gain the exposure and they will be able to basically be based in one of the cities that is considered as one of the capital soccer cities of the world. You know, in the city, they've got one of the biggest football soccer brands in the world in Real Madrid. So if that doesn't inspire a young player, I don't know what will. All right. So make sure you check out the website for more information. And I look forward to hearing from parents and legal guardians who would like to take their child's um, football career and educational um, career to the next level. All right. Take care. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.